Hey, everybody. Today is Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. This is the Tell Me About Your Tech Job podcast with me, Tom Imboden, and uh, the iTech 350 Summer Real World IT Seminar class. Um, we've got a, uh, a former student, uh, a buddy of mine, Leonard, um, Leonard Goodsell. He is um, someone that, uh, like, like some of the others, um, really got to know while he was in school and especially part of the security dogs team. Um, and, and Leonard was a student who came here um, after uh, serving in the army, right? Yep. And began his studies in IT. And he was just kind of one of these students who was just around absorbing, doing anything he could all the time, participating in the groups outside of school and um, really just a, a fun guy to be around. Um, and, 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 and that's, that's how I'll introduce you, Leonard, um, before we talk about what your job is. Um, now you guys, we heard from Darcy, uh, a while ago and Darcy was also on the security dogs the same time as Leonard. And then Jared, uh, Jared was our SIM guy who does the stuff for the department of, uh, federal departments. And he was also here around the same time as Leonard. Um, so you, you've met some of the the crew from back in the days of, of early security dog time. Um, Leonard, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, where are you from? What do you um, do for fun? How did you get interested in technology? Um, all that type of stuff. Let's learn, learn who you are first, and then we'll talk about your career. All right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically grew up mostly New York State, upstate New York. Um, graduated high school, probably a couple hours north of where you guys are at in Flora, Illinois, and then military stuff all over the place with that year in Afghanistan. Um, and, and then ended up in Carbondale, met Tom through coursework, of course, and we went off from there. Um, while I was in Carbondale, I ended up working for SIU for four, four and a half years, I think it was, doing uh, system admin work for them. Um, and then I bounced around from there, from there, I went to Booz Allen where I did some work for, at the, uh, Department of Veterans Affairs doing vulnerability management and, um, yeah, mostly vulnerability management there and some information insurance work, which is more policy paperwork stuff. Um, and then I ended up switching over to a local hospital out here in St. Louis, uh, BJC Healthcare did vulnerability management for them and then also did some penetration testing for them and now i've made the transition over to a startup called netscope where i'm uh doing appsec security so penetration testing testing their product doing web app uh, containers cloud-based stuff a little bit of network not as much network as what i was doing before so it's it's a wide variety of stuff um but yeah starting out with tech i think i've always been involved with tech even as a kid I was just trying to see what i could bypass so, so uh, i think back with like windows 95 having schools having minimal security trying to lock you down on stuff and bypassing that stuff was always fun okay uh, that's something we've heard here before may have done a little bit of that myself hey no everybody sure. well most have <laughs> 
So what do you do outside of work? What's what do you do for fun? You got some you got some animals. Um, we're well, we're collecting the zoo, obviously, with all with as many zoo here. And then see kayaking, camping, hiking, getting out and enjoying the stuff. I've done picked up whitewater kayaking the past few years. So there's uh St. Francis River down in the Ozarks that during the spring they generally have enough water for do some white water. Um yeah, mostly it's that stuff work, doing, uh, doing conferences if I can, getting out, meeting people that way. Okay. Um, with the kids, we do all sorts of St. Louis stuff. So the zoo, aquarium, Six Flags, City Museum. Because you've got a uh, so third grade. So nine-year-old, eight-year-old? Eight-year-old, almost nine. Yep. Okay. So eight-year-old Braden, lots of fun stuff, I'm sure, that you get to do with him as as dad to little little boy, grown up fast. Um, so at SIU, uh, you came in and, uh, you were a transfer student. Yes. Okay. So you transferred in and, and started our program, um, immediately, you know, start getting those entry first, first couple of courses. Um, and, and I had, you're one of the students, I think you probably took every course that I was teaching at a certain point in time. And right. Probably. And, and for a while I was teaching a lot of different courses. So that might've been like four five or six. Um, but you, uh, you, you got involved in the security dogs. Um, when you came to SIU was, was cybersecurity your interest or was it just kind of it in general, or what did you kind of have in mind? Cause you, cause you were uh, familiar with technology. It's a weird mixture. I've played around with a couple of different subjects and stuff. Um, IT has always been fun doing stuff with computers and stuff, but I think the long term is more the security stuff. So once I got involved with that and um, like even in high school, there's some friends I had that actually had reversed engineered some malware and created their own uh, stuff. Um, so it was interesting seeing that and playing around with that stuff early on. Okay. And when you were on security dogs, you were one of the CCDC, the the competition guys, um, and you, the CCDC is a defense competition. So you're a blue team, and that blue team, among the others that are competing for the state or the regional, are all being attacked by a red team. And today, your title is information security engineer, red team, and offensive operations. So maybe tell us, what the heck is a red team? All right, so the red team is, they're still good guys, but they're the ones that go in and they test your defenses. They're testing your different security controls. Maybe they're just testing for trying to find new flaws. So um, a lot of bug bounty hunters, they do that on the side or someone will get good enough to do it on full time, but they're generally penetration testers too, where they're all out and testing stuff. So a lot of the vulnerabilities that people find in like web apps, um, which I think the log for J vulnerability that came out recently, all that stuff was generally found by security researchers or red teamers that have some just some kind of drive to see if they can bypass what is in their way from to do things that they're not supposed to. Okay. So the red teamers are the professional ethical hackers. Um and and that team that that term gets thrown around a lot. An ethical hacker. Um, the term hacker is 
you know, has definitions that vary based on, you know, who you're talking to, because somebody who's been in the field for a long time, or who's been in technology for a long time, the original definition of hacker was somebody who, you know, played around with technology and made it do things it wasn't necessarily supposed to, uh, with, you know, software, with hardware, electronics, things like that. Uh, Today, the the hacker term, you know, has been widely used to describe somebody with kind of the the nefarious purposes, with with mal intent, the the bad guys, the the criminals, um, and and so by throwing that term ethical hacker in in there, you know, ethical in front of it, um, which I'm sure you're called that sometimes, right? Yep. So, so when you're an ethical hacker, I think the important thing to, to understand is you're doing a lot of the same things that a, you know, a black hat hacker, a bad guy, criminal hacker might be doing using some of the same tools and techniques. Um, but the purpose is not to hurt or harm or steal or damage. The purpose is to, um, you know, provide some sort of insight or knowledge to the customer um, or the system owner or admin that you are doing the ethical hacking against. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, the big thing is making sure you have some kind of consent before you do something. Um, and then there's always that gray area of what does that consent cover and stuff, but generally having that consent is what you need to be the ethical part. Right. And so that's a, a big thing. And that's like in the, the ethical hacking classes, the very first chapter of every ethical hacking book talks about the legal ramifications of hacking. And it they usually talk about the different uh, laws that hackers can be tried under for, you know, for doing illegal stuff, uh, like the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, stuff like that. Um, and so when you're doing this as a professional ethical hacker, you do need to make sure that you've got the consent, usually contracts that state what you are supposed to be testing, the kind of scope of the test, um, what you should not test, when you should test, whether it's a gray box or a black box or white box, all these different types of scenarios that really between the, the customer, because a customer hires an ethical hacker to do what the the bad guys uh, would would be trying to do if they get access um, to your system, or just you know kind of emulating what a bad guy has access to, and so you might have like you said the log log J4S or log log 4JS like which one yeah, I can't yep. so that that recent one you know your your ethical hacking contract might be with a company exclusively to do tests to see if you, you can take advantage of that particular vulnerability. And so that means you're doing only that. You're not messing with vulnerable printers or open Wi-Fi APs. You know, you're there and you're being hired for a specific um, scope of work or a specific um, a specific job. And, and that may not always be the case. Um, when you do your work as an ethical hacker um, or as a security information security engineer, I believe, right? Yeah. Yep. When you're doing that, um, are you doing it for outside groups, outside customers, clients? Currently, it's all mostly internal. Um, so it's with this Netscope's 
product there that's where we're doing most of the stuff but some of the stuff is yeah it's across different teams that we have to work with and stuff like that um if i do any bug bounty work that's all external okay so what does netscope do and we're, we're we're realizing we're jumping ahead to today and we'll go back and we'll we'll hear about your how you made it to this this you know to this uh this career um this point in your career so netscope has a product that's um trying to think of the best way of describing it it's a zero trust client it basically helps out with zero trust so it um there's a client you can install on your workstation that'll help out you don't need that um they use terms like caspi sassy um SSE is the new version of it so security services edge so we're we're tying into your cloud infrastructure we're tying into um but it's getting where we even have a product where you don't really need a vpn you just have the client or um there's even a clientless solution that we have that allows you to securely access your stuff um data loss pr protection um remote browser instances so instead of loading up a untrusted website on your local system you're running that on a container somewhere else so if there's a malware or something it doesn't execute on your system um it they, the product's fairly wide um they've got a swig we've got cloud firewall it's there's a lot of good parts to our product that allows us to help protect companies and help um do things so we're from what i've seen with the companies they're expanding out we're um basically trying to stay a good competitor with like zscaler is one of our big competitors okay so it's it's an interesting mix of uh things that our product protects against and, and uh, helps i mean control. I, i'm looking at the the website which is nets netskope.com if anybody wants to look um and it's you guys do a whole bunch of stuff like everything within the kind of realm of security um to provide different security solutions for different needs different types of systems different types of network traffic different types of you know use cases um all kind of wrapped into the the name you know under under the umbrella of netscope um so tons of things so a customer might a, a, an enterprise customer might want help with you know needing an access control solution that ties in with uh you know this this ability to to run to run workstations up in the cloud that use you know protecting your local workstations and just all sorts of different things that the product can do and and so your job is a a tester for security on their applications on the products they're selling yep i'm testing different portions of their product directly i'm trying to find flaws in it so like our web ui going through looking for different injection attacks um access control issues um shoot drawing a blank now but it's just going through like the OWASP top 10 for both web apps and then API stuff doing all the API top 10s and then going back and doing source code reviews um going through and making sure the backend's configured securely not look looking for issues with misconfigurations anywhere we're not using secure protocols 
going back to the developers and having them go back and fix that stuff. Um, authentication across the board. Just anywhere that if an attacker got into our system, it would compromise us and co potentially compromise our customers. So we've got to look at protecting everything. All right. So this is a this is cool because it it shows that you know Netscope they realize they have this important product and that they are responsible for security, which means you know that's a pretty heavy heavy burden to uh you know to 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 carry. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of responsibility lying on those security vendors and the software that they're producing. So, so within house, um, they've got you as a direct employee to help them find issues to look over and review their products as they come out, as they do updates all the time, just everywhere. Whenever they tell you there's something to look at, you look at it. Yep. So new product features, um, even sometimes updates to product features, um, just changes in general. So they're constantly evolving and adding and changing how they're doing stuff. So we've got to go through and retest all that stuff. We also have a bug bounty program. So we have a PCERT team that goes through and helps triage a lot of that stuff. We work with, I remember which bug, I think it's, I can't remember which bug bounty program it is right now. Um, so it's private bug bounty that we invite people in that allow, allow them to search and find flaws in our product too. So we've got a fairly wide thing of trying to make our make sure our products as secure, secure as possible. So we've got a team here, like we've got myself and we've got a, several over in India. Um, the company in general has employees all over the world. And the biggest use case that companies have been using for our product for is all this work for home with COVID. It's okay. helping keep the secure. So us testing that, making sure that we they can't bypass those controls or exfiltrate data and stuff like that is a big thing. That's interesting. So I hadn't I hadn't realized that this was maybe a company or a product that had really really grown and kind of gained uh, a foothold as companies shift people to remote work. Um, we talked to another student the other day who, um, was saying how much of his company is all remote now. Um, and, and, and yeah, so that's, that's neat. So you've got, you know, not just Leonard, but you've got other internal people. You've got some, some developers and some testers in India, and then you have a bug bounty program. So if you haven't heard of a bug, bug bounty, um, guys, uh, bug bounty program is, is a program that that you know usually software vendors hardware vendors um people like that groups like that will have a uh kind of a bounty out there so that if you um are a user or if you're a security person or usually a reputable security person they hope for um can can find a problem or a vulnerability in the software um, that falls under the bug bounty program and you submit it appropriately and as required then they're going to pay you, right? So they're going to pay you some money for your work. And, and that provides a benefit in that you've got maybe motivated people. I mean, Leonard's here doing a good job. Um, you know, you've got these other folks working for him, but you've got, you know, thousands of lines of code and, and, and different ways that the product might be implemented. And, and it's always possible that something slips by you guys. And there's somebody out there working for money on that bug bounty program to turn in some problem they've found so that the developers can potentially fix it. And the bug bounty programs 
have really gained um, popularity over the last maybe six to eight years um, because they have, you know, security professionals realized, um, you know, they, 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 they're the people who can find vulnerabilities um, and pour through code and run the tools to, to uncover problems in software. They've got a marketable skill and, and they were tired, so to speak, I guess, of, of turning these over to big companies. Like, you know, they find a vulnerability in Microsoft, they find a vulnerability in Oracle, I think notoriously has really been bad about security folks finding problems, reporting it responsibly, which is called responsible disclosure, reporting those problems like up to Oracle and then never hearing anything back. Like you, you just sent them, you know, this, 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 this piece of code that can knock all their stuff offline or break in across their defenses. And if Oracle doesn't respond or if Oracle doesn't acknowledge, um, you know, it ticks off the security researchers who did the work. And, and so for a while there was, um, you know, kind of a, a discontent in the security researcher community where, Hey, we're not getting, you know, we're not getting the fair shake in this deal. We're giving away all this knowledge and this work that we've done. And so, um, companies started responding and putting out bug bounties. So like now Microsoft has a big bug bounty program, Apple, Google, Oracle, they all have bug bounty programs in the hopes of, you know, something that slips by them, uh, a good guy out there in the, you know, in the world outside of their organization, maybe find a problem and then submit it to them so that the company who owns that product and who owns that, that problem or vulnerability has a chance to fix it before the bad guys do. Um, and, and that's pretty important because if you miss them and the bad guys get to them first, then they're released out to the internet and, you know, who knows what kind of badness can happen depending on how that vulnerability, uh, exists or, or is, is applied. Yep. All right. Um, so we'll get back to, to talking more about your current job, but let's, you know, when you were on campus as a student, did you work for Jerry's team? Yep. Jerry Richards. Yep. Okay. And he's still there. He's still one of the people that hires our students. Um, and what was your student work job? What were you doing? I was working on the enterprise systems on the windows team. So I was dealing with, well, I started off with active directory, um, system center configuration manager, and slowly expanded into doing exchange Skype for business. Well, it was link at the time and then switched to Skype for business. Um, Hyper, um, VMware, Hyper-V, trying to think, dealing with a lot of the Dell servers, helping out with the data center some. So it's it was a wide variety of jobs. I ended up dealing with a lot of the system center suite and Active Directory and learned a lot of scripting and PowerShell language while I was doing it. Okay. And so that was your, you know, that was your pocket change while you were making your way through school, your your beer money maybe, or your, you know, your your video game quarters, who knows. And uh, you get your you get your degree, you graduate, and then right then you get hired on at SIU. Yep, stayed on, stayed on. Switched over from student work. Well, it was student work, and then I became extra help, and then extra help, and then FTE. So yeah, became the that got hired on as assistant administrator two. I think the title was okay, and then did that for a while, and then until. Uh, down came along. Okay. So you worked at SIU right out of school. That's pretty common. We have a lot of students who come um, who've worked at SIU 
as a student. And then when they graduate, there's, you know, an opportunity for them to move into a full-time position. Um, it tends to be that they stick around for a couple of years and then the big money starts calling. They relocate to some other, you know, uh, oftentimes in, in, outside of the region, um, just being realistic, you know, more opportunities, um, you know, before COVID, more opportunities were located in the big cities. So St. Louis is where you're at. Um, Chicago was where our uh, our guy from Monday was. Um, the speaker tomorrow is, uh, I think, in Seattle. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the deal. Um, but you, you know, the, the SIU is a good place to learn because, and, and to work if you're getting started, because again, most everybody who's, who's in the admin administration of the IT roles and the IT departments, you know, they really value teaching, teaching their employees and teaching, you know, it's not a, it's not a figure it out or you're fired type of thing. You know, you've got a lot of resources and a lot of good people who are, who are wanting to you to succeed. Um, but I think the, the pay maybe isn't as high as what you might see in the private sector, non-governmental. Um, and so people realize that, and even at other states and other universities. So unfortunately, SIU has kind of like a, a turnover of IT folk, folk and, and kind of seems like they've always got somebody, you know, a position posted. Um, so you had a good time working here your four years, learned a lot. I mean, pro progressive responsibilities, exchange administration, which from the little I had to do was like a nightmare um, that, that, you know, a nightmare scenario that, you know, I, I kind of almost never, I'm glad Office 365 is around because it's got to be easier to, to manage that than an exchange server. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because yeah when they did exchange they switched over to a lot of you do hybrids you could do both on-site and in the cloud and i think that's how siu started off initially and then i think they moved everybody up to the cloud now right yeah the siu had the faculty and staff i think on uh on exchange locally and then students were office 365 and then everybody got transitioned so um yep. works good works good for us so then um you get a job um, you're looking for a job and you find an opportunity for Booz Allen Hamilton. Um, Booz Allen Hamilton is a big company. It's a big consulting company that does um, a lot of technology work, but they do other stuff too, don't they? Yeah, they, they've got a big, well, they've got it divided up in different divisions. So they do a lot of government contracts and, that's, and then they also do the commercial side. I think they have internal teams that do a lot of development and other stuff for different products that they're trying to that they can use across the board as selling points they're yeah they're a huge company i think they're global and covering stuff yeah that's in their hand there's they're decent with really good benefits and everything and they treat their employees really well and they're always out looking for them that's where i think within this first four or five months of me being there they had paid for and i had to got my uh, certified ethical hacker certification through easy console and again this is like you know a company that is doing who, whose people go out and work for others you know who work for clients are the ones that typically you know really favor and encourage those certificates because again leonard's working there as a consultant what looks better to uh you know potential client hey i've got leonard here he knows security stuff or hey i got leonard here he is a certified ethical hacker 
you know, um, those types of things sometimes help with um, making uh, clients making decisions or choosing the people that they want to work on a job. Or um, in some cases, you know, having those extra certifications that may make you for your company a little higher at bill billable. So you get a tier one guy without the ethical hacking, he gets paid, you know, they, they pay $100 an hour for him. But then you got uh, Leonard, who's a certified ethical hacker, they're paying 130 for him. So, you know, it's good for consulting companies a lot of times when people have those certifications. And that's why um, usually they're pretty good about training and supporting that type of stuff. Um, so when you got to Booz Allen, Hamilton, um, what was your what was your job? What were you hired to do? Um, so I was hired on as a their titles were different than this, but the actual job I was doing was vulnerability management um analyst. So uh running tenable Nessus um system center or uh security center. There we go. Mm -hmm. Um for the Department of Veteran Affairs. So that, that was a remote position for me. Um, a lot of the most of the team was over in the DC area. And you were still working in Carbondale? Out of Carbondale, yep. I drew I flew out to DC yeah, once once or twice a year while I was doing the, working for them, just for meetings for different things like that. Um but yeah, so I was had we had requests that we had to scan different applications for people for vulnerabilities there. We did our monthly scans that were required for compliance, all the reporting required around that, um, getting that out to the teams. If there are any issues with the scan engines or anything like that, getting those re resolved and getting the scan engines back up so we can actually kick off the scans. Um, they had a fairly strict schedule when the scans could be run. So it was either late evenings or weekends. So their big scans were all, compl all completed over weekends. Okay. Um, the big thing there is, back then is the network latency having issues. Okay. So what you're kind of describing is, um, <clears throat> so Tenable Nessus Security Center um, is a big product in the industry for um, corporate information uh, vulnerability assessment. And so vulnerability assessment, it's a tool it uh, you, you run it you you point it at some targets you know the systems the networks you want to look at and you load it up with you know some selected vulnerabilities to check for um so for instance nessus is something we we do in my classes we do in my my ethical hacking class and so i keep a running tab of how many different plugins or different vulnerabilities or misconfigurations it can it can detect and they were up to like 140,000 different things. So this, this program, Nessus from Tenable, can detect um, and tell you 140 something thousand different things potentially that could be wrong. And so you would be up there, you would, you know, you would have a list of, you know, the, this facility in Pennsylvania needs to be scanned for its monthly scan. We're gonna do it this day. Here are the targets of the, you know, the important servers, and here are the scanning parameters, the vulnerability testing parameters. We want to look for, you know, missing and and vulnerable Microsoft recent operating system problems. So you'll configure that, you'll set that to run, and then when it's done, you'll take that report, and from that report, 
it tells you which systems have problems, which ones need to be updated. And then you, you pass that on to those administrators who run that and they can then work to fix those problems. Yeah, usually when any, any company you go to, they're not always going to be 100% fixed. So you're always going to have that insane amount there in there at times. But yeah, that's, that's a big thing is trying to get at least the, the remotely exploit, exploitable ones fixed and then prioritizing the other ones and working through and helping the teams pick right. what they need and how soon. Because because when you look at vulnerabilities, you know they have a they have a CVE and a CVSS score CVSS right. Yep. Um, so that score is a scale of one to ten, I think. And the higher the number, the the more severe the vulnerability is. That means it can be taken advantage remotely, um, which makes it extra bad because that means somebody doesn't have to be sitting at your keyboard. They could be over a network in you know in Taiwan. Um, it can uh, escalate privileges. So if you get into the system as a regular web user or something like that, and you can cause the the vulnerability to let you jump up to administration, that's a, you know that's a pretty significant problem. And then the last part of it, that's, as far as I remember, is remote code execution, which if you can get code to run then you can turn that machine into anything you want in some circumstances. So those three components, remotely accessible, um, escalation privileged, and remote code execution. Am I missing one, Leonard? I think those are the big ones. It's just ways of getting to those points. Right. So, so those three, if the vulnerability has something like that, that usually puts it up the scale um, in terms of the numeric score they get. And so sometimes when you're doing vulnerability management, you're looking for just the top priority things, right? Because if you've got a, a network you're in charge of with thousands of devices, um, Leonard, you've got to be able to prioritize, you know, you got a thousand devices and you just found that maybe, you know, maybe 16% of them might have this terrible new Windows vulnerability or this terrible new SQL vulnerability or whatever, or Linux or kernel thing. And, and so you've got to prioritize, you know, I can scan for 140,000 different things with this amazing tool Nessus, but we need to find these two particular bad Linux ones that, that just came out and can be, you know, remotely executed and exploited. And, and those need to go to the top of the list. So you're, you're scanning in all sorts of ways with that tool to provide, you know, the, the best and the most timely um, information to the the folks who whose job it is to remediate it. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. Um, I did share a link to a CVSS calculator. Okay. Um, that I think part of the stuff that goes into the store is also like the CIA triad. Yep. So if it affects stuff like that, so if it's so yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So it so here we've got a calculator for CVS. Yes, awesome. I'm gonna have to check that out. That'll be good for my next uh, for class uh, in fall. Thank you, Leonard. I've never seen this. I'm gonna have to uh, bookmark. Yeah, I only know about it because I have to use that with some of our stuff. So. Oh, okay. Um, I figured I'd calculate it. So, so you work for the the Booz Allen Hamilton as a direct contractor for the VA, helping them. You know, as part of a uh, you're an outside an outside contractor for the VA, but are you working closely with VA direct employees? 
Uh, we reported directly to a lot of the VA employees. Um, so there was a chain where, yeah, we were had our chain of command in the company, but we also had people we reported to in the company that actually were uh, VA employees. And then, then depending on the development team, some of those were internal VA and then or other contracting firms. Okay. And, and across, that, go ahead. I was just saying you just work across the board with different companies. Right. And and what I was going to say, when we talked to Marco on Monday, he's he's doing cloud stuff as a consultant. He kind of said the the same thing. You know, when you, you're you're a consultant, but you may spend 40 hours a week working with this team of employees for the company that you're, you know, that's your client. Um, and so you might feel more connected and more a part of that that VA team than you do your Booz Allen Hamilton team because you know you're you're dealing with the VA people in and out every day and and Booz Allen once or twice a year or maybe a month uh, for reviews or something like that. So that's kind of a an interesting kind of dynamic and um, kind of interesting aspect of of being a consultant on um, long projects. And from my experience and understanding, you know there might be a a bunch of different reasons why the VA would hire this this role out to a consultant instead of looking to do it with people they have internally. Do you have any sense of maybe what some of those might have been, or I can make some guesses? I think a lot of it relates to just the job pool of being able to get talent. Um, so you hire from another company, they have people working, doing the same job across different companies. So if there's something that they someone's not thinking of, they can reach out to have another point of contact to help them out. Okay. So, there are other points with the clearances and stuff, but okay. So so you so you are in a you had a security clearance. Yeah, yeah. For VA it was public trust, but it's still background checks and all that fun stuff. Gotcha. So the VA may have decided, you know, hey, we need somebody, you know, maybe, maybe we're not doing a good job with vulnerability management. Maybe it's something new that we want to implement. And we know there's no way we're going to be able to get the manpower approved and, and hired up as soon as we need it. Booz Allen Hamilton has this service, which means they have people that can do it. Let's contract with them. You know, that might be uh, a reason why they do that. Other times security gets contracted out so that there's kind of this this prevention of conflict of interest um where you know you have somebody if security and and developers work hand in hand um or you know they're buddy buddy then there could be you know sometimes it's better to have you know segregation of duties where the security people are from an outside firm with no real you know dog in the fight of what's going on at the internal client, you know, IT group. And so sometimes that's done. So you have like some transparency and some unbiased independence when, when doing these things related to security, um, seen that a, a, a lot. And then again, you know, sometimes you're just picking a consultant because they've got the expertise that you need and they have it where it can scale and be used, you know, as a, um, as a tool when it's needed. And and then you don't have to worry about you know consultants their contracts run up and then you're done. With real employees, you know when somebody's finished a role or something like that, they don't you know they're they're not they're expecting to keep working. So a lot of reasons why consultants might be hired. Um, Booz Allen Hamilton, um, again another 
big one um, for federal government security stuff. So, so after you left there, you went to BJC. Yep, BJC. So BJC uh, Barnes Jewish Christian, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. So the big, the predominant healthcare organization in St. Louis, um, hospitals, clinics, all that type of stuff, right? Yeah. So it's got children. Well, it's I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think it's Children's Hospital. It's Monica's a nurse. She's shaking her head. So are you affiliated with uh, BJC, Monica? Uh, it's a little bit of a square as a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. I can put in orders for BJC, but I am a WashU employee. Okay. Gotcha. So all my stuff goes out to BJC. I just don't work for them. They're, they're collaboration between the teachers. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Cool. <laughs> so, so when you were at BJC, what was your job? What was your role there? I got hired on for vulnerability management. Helping them so, out there. So leveraging your experience working with Tenable for the VA for however long you're you're plus. Yep. They had um they ended up going with a different tool, Rapid Sevens uh Insight VM. Okay. So it works differently. It's there was doing a lot, they were still still doing a lot of changes on the product when I was using it. So there was it's hybrid, so on-prem and cloud-based. Um agents worked really well with the so it was, it was a difference trying to learn something. So there's some nice stuff with the older versions of Tenable. And then there's some nice things with Rapid7. They all have their pluses and minuses. Okay. And then did that for a while. But but it's still within this realm of you're running enterprise-grade, fancy, very capable, expensive tools to check for security problems, misconfiguration, software patches that are missing, poor passwords, insecure protocols, just all sorts of stuff that could be happening anywhere across the BJC network. You're, you know, you you're there to be able to help run those scans, detect that stuff and then help people get them fixed. Is that right? Yep, that's why I started out with them and then I slowly pushed my way into penetration testing for them. Okay. And but- and penetration, I mean, penetration testing that is the sexy job of information security. I mean, it is. When people think of what do you want to do? You want to be a pen tester, right? Because they're the ones that sit in, they, they're the ones that wear ha- uh, shirts that say, I'm not a hacker. And they've got a cool leather uh, office chair and uh, black lit uh, saltwater aquarium from them. That's, that's what people, you know, that's what students, when they say uh, they want to be a, a pen tester, you know, red team, it's kind of that mystique, that kind of, you know, that, that kind of, um, air about it, um, in a lot of cases, and in a lot of cases it's completely opposite. You know, you got some dork sitting in his cubicle next to five other dorks that are ethically mm-hmm. hacking too. Right. But you know, this is this, what we're seeing on the screen is kind of what I'm thinking of as the ethical hacker life job. You know, you're, you're kind of living it cool and stuff. Um, then the stereotypical being in the, in the basement, in the basement, you know, your parents' basement, right? Your 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 mom's paying all your bills, you're drinking her orange juice while you're doing your ethical hacking, you got your hoodie on, might roll over and take a nap and she brings you cookies. Darn, I forgot my hoodie today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so you you move into ethical hacking or pen, I'm sorry, pen testing within Barnes. So what's that like? Not Barnes, BJC. Same thing. Um, so yeah, they're 
thing is, yeah, I had to help them finish rolling out the vulnerability management stuff, pass that off to some previous interns for them. Um, and then basically I was, well, the manager I had at the time, I would just go pick a scope, wrote up a scope document for, hey, well, I want to go test this network or this hospital, wrote up everything I needed, worked with some people that knew the networks a little better than I did, so I knew what I needed to avoid. I wrote the scope, scope document, got my approvals from the people I needed to get my approvals for, then was hosh hosh, went and started just doing my tests. So I always started off with, well, since we were Insight VM already rolled out, I generally pulled a report out of there just as a baseline. And then I also um, got them to buy me a license for tenable professionals. So I had another way of validating because the different tools sometimes have different checks. Um, and from there, it's just finding vulnerabilities. If I find something like an exploit, go looking for exploit code, reading, get an understanding of what the exploit code does before you before I run it, make any modifications I need to run it and go with it. Um, so do I was doing internal internal assessments and I was also doing out external assessments on their perimeter network. So finding stuff that way. So um, an internal meaning you're within BJC network, you're testing things from within, you're yep. basically there on the network like an employee might be, or like a bad guy who's gotten into the network might be, you know, you get a host compromised on, you know, a workstation of a, you know, a charge nurse or something like that. And if that's compromised somehow because they clicked on a bad link or whatever, not saying nurses do that stuff, mm -hmm. uh, it was probably a doctor. Yes, it was probably a doctor. Anyway, so that machine gets compromised and that's on the inside, just like when you're doing these internal assessments, but then separately you pop out and you hop on some sort of outside dirty internet connection and you do your tests on their outside, um, what's, what's the word? Their outside inventory, their outside systems, their public facing machines and IP addresses for vulnerabilities too, right? Yep. So yeah, it's websites, um, VPN servers, anything publicly facing. Um, so using Shodan or Census is two big search engines for that kind of stuff. Census, how do you spell that? Uh, C-E-N-S-Y-S. Okay. So, so, okay. So you're using all sorts of tools because we're, we're running out of time. You're, you're using all sorts of tools. Um, you're, you're finding problems and then your job's not to fix the problems. Your job's to turn those problems over to other people, right? Yeah. My job was to write the reports, send it over, give it over to some other person to go put the tickets in for me. And in theory, they get fixed eventually. And, and once you, now as a penetration tester, different than the vulnerability management, penetration tester finds the problem, turns it over, vulnerability management finds the problem and then helps follow that problem through to solution. That's, yep. Okay. Yeah. And then um, penetration tester actually tries exploiting the problem and not just goes off scan results to assume it's a problem. So we're validating so, 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 so doing a test to verify that there's a vulnerability <clears throat> is one step, but then actually running the tool or running the code uh, to break that vulnerability open to cause whatever the bad thing is to happen so that you've got proof and demonstrable um, code that there's a problem in, and that it needs to be fixed. Because when you can prove, you know, that something can be cracked or hacked or you can grab passwords or something like that. You know, that is something um, that maybe is a little more 
fear-inducing among the, the security leadership than just turning over a report that was generated by an automated tool with scan parameters you just you you kind of set. Yeah, basically showing that, hey, this is a risk and this is what can happen out of it gets a little more action than, oh, here's a report of these vulnerabilities. Right, right. And um, and that's, you know, that's pen testing in 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 a nutshell. Um, and yep. and you a lot of times use the and the when you read ethical hacking, you know, books and pen testing um, training, they're they're going through the same kind of <clears throat> um, steps, you know, the same outline of attack as as the bad guys do in many, many cases. So it is real world and it's it's um, reputable and um, valid example of what could happen because the bad guys do the similar stuff using similar tools. Um, do you like Metasploit? You play around with Metasploit when you were doing things like that a lot? A little bit of Metasploit. I mean, depending on what the controls are in place, a lot of the default Metasploit stuff can still get picked up. So a lot of it's sometimes using Metasploit, sometimes using um exploit db code shells, yeah um i actually have a go language reverse shell that i've used that bypasses like crowdstrike it's one of the oh, okay. top edrs right. so it er goes off behavior so if i'm just doing a connection back to my system and careful what commands i run just to show that hey look i have access it generally doesn't get picked up it's when you're doing certain enumerations when you start getting detected when you start checking user accounts and shares and things like that yep okay awesome so we're running out of time anything else about your current job um or any advice for students anybody have questions for for leonard yeah see about questions i can throw random things out there afterwards all right, tell us a couple of minutes of random stuff that we should know. Random stuff. Um, well, let's see. For students, good thing is probably get, doing some kind of building some lab, just try messing around with stuff, doing, depending on where you're wanting to go, either blue team, red team, just get out there and play with whatever technology you think you want to go for. Um, I know. A lot of people don't know it, understand it all the time, but purple teaming is a mixture of both red team and blue team. So being able to work across teams and conflict resolution and stuff like that. So sometimes even with purple teams, sometimes things get escalated where, hey, look, you shouldn't be able to do that while you're doing that. And we have that blocked while you're doing. <laughs> so gotcha. it's, it's a lot of it being able to communicate with people, willing to research. Um, I think time you probably mentioned it before is probably the first what three to five years is generally the hardest for landing jobs and expanding your career once you get past that point it's as long as you're focusing on stuff and show that you can do things and pick up new technologies i've seen a lot more employers willing to hire someone that's willing to learn than someone that has experience and they can't communicate yeah communication is extremely important um one thing you mentioned um that I have heard a ton, especially from um, you know the, the the people who hire that are technical in nature. Um, they love seeing students and hearing about their home labs, what they've built at home, their GitHub work, what are they doing outside of school, outside of their their current job um, to further themselves and to learn more. That's that's something that's typically 
really impressive. And I know of students who've, you know, submitted their GitHub repositories as part of their their resume, um, you know, their, their their job application packet, and and that being one of the things that that gets them a you know a new position because they've you know shown that they've worked on this project and they've had this passion to contribute to. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's something that they're continuing to work on. It, it shows, it shows something, I think that, um, um, when you've got that, you know, extracurricular sort of, uh, um, work to, to show off. Um, last thing, Leonard, do you still listen to Paul S. Dorian? Paul Security no, no. Weekly, it's Security Weekly. I know you were the guy that turned me on to him, I think. Yeah, I think it's been a while. It's been, been a while. So I have my own five questions for you. You ready? All right. Uh, what's your favorite food? What do you like to eat? What's your favorite cuisine or restaurant? It's a hard one. Hibachi is probably the best thing. Oh, okay. Is there a good one up your way? Uh, O'Fallon, um, Kataro. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, and then, well, I'm waiting for Hua to open back up in mongolian which is a good one when that opens back up gotcha all right do you have any new books podcasts movies tv shows anything cool that you're watching listening to nowadays for fun for for learning anything like that you want to throw out there for learning i'm still i'm dependent on twitter a lot for learning so i'm looking at what people are posting there um and then conferences is my big thing is like there was there's security conferences here in St. Louis several times a year that are usually free or fairly cheap to go to. So I try to go in those. Um, I said DEF CON early on. So I'm going DEF CON this year and I'll be at B-Sides Las Vegas and I might do some uh, Black Hat stuff while I'm there. But no Netflix recommendations. Well, Netflix, oh. Anything. Netflix. I'm looking for stuff to watch, man. I've been doing Paramount a lot more. So a lot okay. of Star Trek. I just watched the Beavis and Butthead movie that was on. Uh, I have not Paramount. watched that yet. I need to. Uh, but, it's um, it's 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 about what you would expect. <laughs> typical Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Uh, well, Star Trek: A New World is interesting. That series. I've never done Star Trek. All right, so let's turn on to, to question number three. Then, uh, any technologies, either at home, at work, personal, professional, that you have started to play with or you are interested in learning about that you'd like to get your hands on and play with um i think the big thing is just more of the cloud-based stuff so i'm trying to play a little bit more of that because companies are moving more cloud-based so aws gcp azure so i'm just trying to play with that stuff when i have time um i think that's a big part of it okay uh where do you see yourself in your career five to ten years from now leonard um maybe by that point i'll be management at some level um the hard part is want not wanting to stop being technical being hands-on which can be you know when you move into to management but it can also be a tremendous benefit as a manager you know being a working manager it's it's, it's trying to get that balance but i think it's some point i'll transition over to management um that's where i'm looking at going back and get my master's and going from there and worst comes to worst maybe start teaching cool i have one of my own co-workers that's offered me to be a adjunct professor for him over at uh maryville 
Oh, okay. It's a fun gig if you can get it. Um, okay. And lastly, if you were able to retire today, money was no object, you could do whatever the hell you wanted. What would you do? Where would you go? What would you be doing? It's a hard one. I haven't been to Australia yet, so I've been wanting to go there. Australia would be fun doing something different, cruising around the world, visiting, traveling the world would be fun. If I, if money was no object, just being able to travel and go see new sites and see some of the history over time of how things have changed and how things are going. Show show grade and all that stuff too. Yeah, you know, we we generally very traveling a bunch, but it's all been domestic so far. Okay. With him. Awesome. Leonard, thank you very much for your time. It's been really good catching up with you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, let me know if there's any other classes or anything you need some help with. I will. I got your name and I I will will holler at you for ethical hacking or uh, the corporate security. Maybe, maybe talking a little bit about Tenable as we do our Tenable scans later uh, next semester. Sounds good. And then if you guys have any interns looking for stuff, have them reach out and I can hook them up with our intern program. Okay. I will, I'll put you on the list. Thank you, Leonard. I'm going to stop recording.